Saturday morning. Welcome to the program. It's Casey and Rex here in the studio in Columbia, South Carolina. Good morning, Rex. Good morning. How are you today? I'm doing okay. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's a, Yes, it's, absolutely. I'm it's, doing great. It's Comic-Con day. Are you going to Comic-Con? I can't. I'm going on a cruise in a couple of weeks. Oh, yeah? I can't. I just I just, I just don't have the money to go. I'm trying to make sure I can Because if, com- if I go to Comic-Con, if I go to what was it? Soda City Comic-Con. Yes. I'm going to spend at least 200 bucks there. So, so without, without blinking an eye. At the convention center today, if you guys haven't right. gotten your tickets yet, uh, they're still available and still for sale. Oh, yes. So, and I would love to go. Trust me. I'm by, you know, I, I got a whole list of stuff I want, but man, yeah. <laughs> I can't. I have to protect myself. That's why I don't go into bookstores anymore because I start <laughs> salivating and I go nuts. Can't, can't and I'll go spend into bookstores the next, at all. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. My wife hates going on vacation with me because, uh, unless it's on a cruise ship where I can't get away. Because, <laughs> you know, I go to a strange city. The first thing I do is I hit the, all the used bookstores looking for uh, treasures that are overlooked. Yeah. I always find something, too. I always find something interesting that I got cheap and I'm like, look, look at this. And I was like, she's like, I don't care. <laughs> Bookworm. I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> you said that like it's a bad thing. Yeah, I know. Um, yeah, all right, cool. So uh, we're going to uh, – my family's going over there. We're going to go over to Soda City Comic Con today, um, mostly, I think, because I'm really interested in all the different uh, costumes. People show up in costume, which is super cool. And I love to see, like, what people have done in terms of, like, making up their own, you know, versions of stuff. The last time we were there, we saw four girls dressed as the girls from Heather's. Um, oh my goodness! Uh, and they were all croquet mallets and everything. I mean, nice. they, yeah, they looked fantastic. And so, uh, looking forward to that today. Um, something to add here, real quick: the uh, South Carolina Writers Association is still accepting uh, registrations for the virtual conference and also for the in-person conference at Polly's Island. If you have not attended a writers conference before and you're interested in seeing, you know, what the lineup's going to be, they got some fantastic faculty members for both of these things. Go out to myscwa.org, click events, and or actually, I think it's annual conferences on the event menu so go and grab that um in the virtual conference like i said you can stay in your pajamas all weekend long um and listen to these folks uh deliver these really really good live workshops um on the virtual conference as well all right it's episode 197 uh the show notes are not quite up i'm getting ready to post them right now uh, but we when i texted you i said like what should we talk about tomorrow and you said tension and this is really funny and i'm gonna say it out loud on the radio right. you texted me back tension t-e-n-t-i-o-n all right, fine. And I was All like, right, fine. Hey. I don't know what tension is. Oh, <laughs> fine, whatever. Uh, but anyway, so. Yeah, this is why we have auto, we need more autocorrect. No. Yeah, that's, we, need, we need a heavier autocorrect. That's exactly what we were missing in our lives is more autocorrect. Uh, well, actually, so, yeah, so I'm kind of teasing you about it, but we had done tension. This is why you have to edit everything. Yeah. Especially when you're related, you're an English teacher or you're a writer. Yeah. Right? Everyone rags on me. Well, how come you don't know about that? <laughs> it's like everyone comes up to me with every book they've read. How come you haven't read this book, huh? I thought you were uh, into books and stuff. It's like, you know, I can't read everything out there. Uh, no, just all the obscure stuff that Casey's never read. <laughs> but no, no. So I, I agree with you, though, because people expect that everything I write is going to be flawless. Right. Like it's not going to have any errors in it at all. And I'm like, come on, of course I'm going to get it wrong now and then. Come yeah, on. especially it depends on how fast you write it. Yeah, yeah. All right, so instead of doing tension, though, because we did that last year, um, during we had a full month of basically where we looked at, like, horror stories and scary stories and things like that. And obviously tension is a big deal in those stories, um, trying to get people to, like, sort of white-knuckle it. So since we did that back in October, I thought we'd shift it just a little bit and instead talk about conflict. We haven't done conflict in the story since episode 10. 
Um, so it's been a while because this is episode 197. Um, so yeah, we've, we've probably learned a lot and I'm sure our writers, our listeners have learned a lot as well. So we're gonna talk about conflict today. So question number one for you, what is conflict in the story and why does a story need it? All right. Conflict is some sort of tension, T E N S I O N. Um, uh, which, which make, which adds an accent to the story. Okay. Conflict is what drives the plot. It's what you need to do, all right? If, if, if your character is going up against something, it's, it, it's what it's going up against. It's the action that causes it to happen. It's weird. I know what it is, but I find it difficult to define sometimes. It's really funny because I, like, I did the same thing. I, you know, when I do the show notes, I just go out there and like Google this stuff, right? So right. Oregon, Oregon State is going to bail us out here. They said conflict means thwarted, endangered, or opposing desire. Okay. It's when the character wants something, but something else gets in the way. And so the idea of having conflict in your scene or conflict in your story is that you are setting up a character to have to overcome something that's in their way, something that's between them and what they desire. Right. Well, tension, also tension, uh, conflict, people assume that means, you know, some sort of physical action, and that's not. Oh, no, there's two different, yeah, there's internal and external conflict. Right, but even external conflict isn't always, um, isn't always physical. Right, it doesn't have to be like a fist fight or something, or or something right. you know, jumping over a fence or whatever. Something's happening that's preventing um, the the character from meeting his goals, whether it's ignorance, whether it's himself, where he just believes what he's hearing or uh, understanding, whether it is simply you know time has obscured most uh, mo- uh, nearly everything. It's anything that is preventing them from getting what they want, right? Correct. So if we think about like. Um, the or he's bashing up against usually it's he's bashing up against the desires of another character so every character should have to want something so um i'm like immediately what comes to mind is getting on an airplane right you go through the security checkpoint at the airport and there's a, a, an opportunity for conflict through the entire thing right you're standing in line you're going to step up there and show them your identifying papers their job is to make sure that your papers are in order right you have a boarding pass you have identification Anything in your hand that is not what they're looking for or that doesn't, if it's an expired driver's license, right. if, if your boarding pass doesn't have the correct day on it, like whatever it is, they're looking for a reason to not let you through here, right? So there's an opportunity for conflict there. Then you get over there and you have to take off your shoes. You got to put up your bags. Maybe you don't pull the keys out of your pocket or whatever. Now you're going to go through the metal detector. The metal detector is going to go off. Their, their job is to get you through there with no metal on you at all. And if you have instead kept your cell phone in your pocket, there's this opportunity for conflict, right? So, uh, like, I think the the idea here is just to say, like, in everyday situations, there's always these opportunities for conflict. And when people simply sail through and everything's fine, that's fine, sure thing, it's all good, um, then, then then it's boring. <laughs> I mean, it's just boring. Right. You know, you uh, and you want to go, uh, people ask me, like, how was your flight? I'm like, oh, it was uneventful. That's what you want. You want a flight that's uneventful. But um, it's a terrible story. But it's a terrible story. <laughs> yeah. Like, nobody wants to hear that story because nothing bad happened. Nothing, you know, challenging happened. There was no conflict there. All right. So it, um, in let me talk. ask you about resolution. So um, does the conflict have to be resolved? It depends what that conflict is. It depends. <laughs> it depends. Um, yeah, of course it does. The main conflict has to be resolved. It should be resolved by the end of the book. My opinion, of course, if it's a, if it's a, some people like to extend it 
that's the most popular thing nowadays where, where it, you know, it used to be a series meant you had the same character in a different conflict in each book. Mm-hmm. Now they're extending the entire conflict over several books. Mm-hmm. The which, big conflict, yeah. Yeah. Which, I mean, especially if it's the first book in a series, you want a resolution. You want an ending to it of some sort. Not that it's not something you can't build on, but you want uh, at least, say, in case you don't want to read anymore, you simply can't read any more of it, uh, you want something that satisfies the character, that satisfies the needs of that character, but something that could be built on later. Like, uh, I don't we, know. we got to get a break. All right. Uh, on the other side, though, we're going to talk more about this, so don't go away. It's right on SC on 100.7 The Point. All right, Saturday morning, show notes are up. It's right on sc.blog. Go on out there and take a look at them. Uh, that was kind of keeping me a little distracted here in the first segment, but now I'm, 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 in, I'm in. I'm all in now uh, to talk about this conflict question. So, uh, all right, all right. They got, I have three basic principles. Give me the three basic principles of antagonism. And I just want to finish up what I said because nothing annoys me uh, more than when I'm going through a book, the first book in a series, mm-hmm. and it doesn't end. That the primary conflict doesn't end. Exactly. See, I don't feel that way about it. Because like I, I was mentioning before, I was on Well, the- it gets on my nerves because it's like, you know, it feels like hubris to me. Like, you think your stuff is so good that I'm going to, to rush out and buy the next one? And it might be true. It's still, it's still, it doesn't feel right. Maybe if you do it later on in the series, because it's popular enough to do that. But the first book, that kind of, it may, uh, that always leaves me raw. See, I don't feel that way about it. So I'm reading these Kingmaker Chronicles books by Amanda Boucher, and the 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 primary conflict is that this this woman is the daughter of a very powerful queen, um, and and she's run away from home. Right. This conflict between her and her mother is the one that's lasting all three books so far. It has not yet been resolved, and they continue like they battle. They well, have but is there is there is there something she overcomes in the first book? Yes. Okay. Well, see, we can do the overarching thing, but there seems to be. There needs to be something for the person to accomplish in that first book. Yes. Where it could be considered the end, even if there's more to the story. Um, like, uh, what, what the, we can always go back to this, the Hunger Games, right? Yes. Right? You still have the overall problem, uh, our overarching problem of their society, mm-hmm. but she survives the Hunger Games, and that's the end of that. Now, right. what, if, what if the first book had her enter the Hunger Games and it stops halfway through? Oh, yeah. No, no. You see, right. that, that's what I'm talking about yeah. without resolving anything. No, no, you're right. You're right. I, I agree with that. I think that the first book has to be, not necessarily be a standalone, right? Like you do kind of want that big series conflict. That's important. But um, I do think that you should be able to read the first book and walk away satisfied. Right. Yeah. And I think you can do that in The Hunger Games. Right. I mean, you kind of do want to know, does she ever defeat Pan Am, you know, the, the capital in general? Um, so you got to stick in there for the, you know, the next two books. But all right, so seven types. Oh, no, you had well, the three on. principles. All right. Stronger the forces of antagonism are, the more well-developed your character will become. The stronger the forces of antagonism. Of the antagonist. Of the antagonist. Right? Yeah. So the more he has to overcome it, the more developed your character will be. Okay. I can see that. All right. And um, just through the dealing with the plot. Yes. Okay. Two, the conflict should be tailored to your protagonist's main desire. Yes. All right. I mean, there's got to be a reason for him being in there. They should be directly related. Right. Yeah. I'll agree with that. 
uh, I think it makes more interesting. Even the characters dragged in somehow, mm-hmm. you should become deeply invested in what's happening. The if he doesn't overcome this conflict, then what's at stake is the question, right? And right. so, like, if he's not going to get his desire, then the stakes are pretty high, right? I've got to be able to do this, or I'm not going to get what I want. Yes. All right. Three, the antagonism has to increase with time or you'll lose the reader's interest. That's true. I think it has to escalate. Yes. It has to go somewhere. In the first place, it can be that's a small the tra- That's the problem I have with sometimes. Sometimes the escalation sort of comes out of nowhere mm-hmm. or feels, it feels forced. It should be a natural escalation based on what's happened in the past. I'll agree with that. I'll agree with that. Or at least there's hinting of it. So I'm um, like kind of stuck on thinking about Heather's. Um, <laughs> now I'm thinking about like uh, the initial conflict in Heather's is that the primary Heather, Heather Chandler, is uh, she's controlling. You know, she's bossy. Um, she's not a very nice person. She's extraordinarily mean, right? Um, and when she dies, but she's also incredibly insecure. But when she dies, yeah, she's pretty insecure. When she dies, uh, the, the, it doesn't end. The conflict gets even bigger, right? Like, we think that by killing Heather Chandler, Veronica's going to be, you know, free. Life is going to be better. But, in fact, somebody else just moves into her place and, ta- and, and becomes that mean girl. That mean, mm. becomes that alpha, um, that alpha bully. So it's kind of interesting to think about it that way, too, where you kind of think of your, anti- your protagonist having this sense of, I can solve this pretty easily. But then when they do the thing that they think is going to be the solution, actually it makes the conflict even worse. It makes it harder. All right, seven types of conflict. Seven types of conflict. And Char- I kind of disagree. This is not what I teach in my literature class. Do you teach five? Four. Four. Wow, okay. Well, why four. don't you give us the four first? Okay, then- fine. And again, this is this is not like written in stone. So, But I think it covers mostly everything. Okay. All right, all right. A man versus man. Yes. Okay. Person versus person. Person versus person. Mankind versus mankind. Okay. <laughs> All right. There's a physical um, thing that the character is fighting against. Right. We can name dozens of examples, none of which appear to my mind at this moment. Right. Okay. Okay. So that, that that's primarily is you have a you have a hero, you have a villain. One battles against the other. Yes. But the villain should look upon himself as the hero. Yes. The I, in my always, opinion, villain always thinks that they're in the right. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, either through self-deception or a lack of self-reflection. Uh, lack of self-awareness. Yes. Yeah. Um, or sometimes they just don't care, which is the sociopath. Yes. Um, okay. So we okay. Man versus nature. Yes. We have like call the wild, mm-hmm. a perfect storm, mm-hmm. where man tries to struggle against forces beyond his control. Yes. By by nature itself, just just barely surviving. Right. Okay, then there is man versus the supernatural. Okay, so vampires and werewolves. And yeah, ghosts. things from beyond. Things that cannot be explained. Right, man versus himself. Yes. Okay. All right, where the struggle is a personal struggle, and I a lot of the times I find that um, interesting, but I don't know. I never built a whole book around it. I always that's like that's like an inherent flaw in the character to accent the rest of the action. So you haven't built the entire story where a man is struggling. I have against never himself. done that. 
I would say I probably have. I think both of my my first two novels are probably Brian against himself. All right. So yeah. But uh, I, be- I always find it fun to use that as as an accent. Call it a a my uh, you know a sub conflict. Right. To reflect upon the the larger one. So the others that are on this list though are man versus society. So the world at at, at large. You mean man made society? So you think that goes with man versus man? I guess so. Those can live um, together. Well, you know, when it's man versus society, I think it's stuff like 1984, mm-hmm. where it's literally him against the rest of the world, and he's getting no help from another. And that always ends up with it. Or this one that I'm reading right now, uh, It Can't Happen Here by Sinclair Lewis, mm-hmm. where it, 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 a totalitarian regime is taking over the United States. Yeah. Which I'm still not buying. Still don't believe it? <laughs> well, not in the way he describes it here. Yeah. Um, it just happens way too sudden. And it's like, okay, there would be a civil war if, if someone tried to push this in. You've got to have the um, the subtle buildup to that kind of thing. You know, like 87,000 new IRS agents. Right. Exactly. <laughs> All of a sudden, a, we're getting busted slow, by the tax man. A slow move toward totalitarianism. Um, yeah. So, okay. So, Man versus Society, Fahrenheit 451, right? These kind of books that are about right. uh, overcoming a, an, a corrupt system. Usually, that is also his individualism versus society. Yes. Because the person wants to be an individual and then he cannot. We all, uh, it's like uh, the we by his, uh, I can't remember the Russian name, uh, Vladimir Zolotko. I can't, say, I can't say the name. Okay. Or Anthem by a- a- Ayn Rand. Mm-hmm. Uh, books like that. Yes. Where it's the individual trying to be himself or not wanting to fit in any longer. Not wanting to conform. Not wanting to conform, yeah. being crushed by society. Yeah. Because they almost always are crushed. All right. And then what about the character versus fate or the gods or destiny? All right. I, I will go with that. I would say that is legitimate. Uh, you mean like Oedipus? Yeah. Where they try to change, uh, you know, the things happen because everyone tries to change it? Yeah. Uh, I guess. Sorry. But, you know, you always see that the, after reading Oedipus, you always know how that's gonna uh, that story is going to end. Or the prophecy. They never buck fate. The prophecy, right? So The prophecy. Oh, that? the prophecy. One day a man will arise. We, <laughs> we've had, we, we're both How many pretty- times have I heard that one? Yeah, we we're both pretty uh, pretty cynical about prophecies, but the idea that you so some authors will use the prophecy as a plot uh, tool, right? That basically says, well, this is how it's supposed to be, and so now the character is going to have to you know either attempt to fulfill the prophecy or attempt to overthrow the prophecy, right? Right. Um, in fact, I will say this Amanda Boucher book that I'm reading, the uh, the breath of the uh, Kingmaker Chronicles. There's the until the prophecy was introduced, I was totally going going along with this. Like I was like, "All right, cool, man. She's gonna she's fighting to get you know she's a rebel. She's running away from her mom. Like then she's gonna get this powerful allies, and then start to see like maybe she could actually defeat her mom and like take her rightful place as queen. And then it was like, oh, by the way, you're the kingmaker, and there's a prophecy. And I'm like, ah, oh, son of a gun. Yeah. <laughs> And then I'm just mad because I was like, why does there have to be a prophecy? Like, right. Why couldn't she just within herself want to be a better queen than her mom is and believe that she's capable of doing that? Like, I don't understand why the prophecy had to show up. Yeah, it's 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 a tactile cliche at this point. It does feel that way. Yeah. Um, all right. So character versus character, character versus society, character versus nature, character versus the supernatural, character versus fate and character versus himself. 
Um, and then the last one here that we didn't mention was character versus technology. I think that's society as well. Yeah, I think for the most part, technology doesn't come out of nowhere. It doesn't grow on trees. Right, exactly. So that's, we, we've created that. So I think the you know if you're fighting against the robots, you're still fighting against society. Um, all right. Does a oh, so can you have too much conflict? <laughs> um, okay. Usually, conflict. Uh, there's the overarching conflict of the story that's broken down into many conflicts within each chapter. Every char- every chapter should be a reflection of that conflict, even if it's a um, a chapter where the character tries to get away from it. The fact that he needs to get away from it is a reflection on that because he needs to regress, uh, re, uh, re, um, you know, regroup, yeah, regrow his strength, train, do something like that. Right. So that conflict is re- re- represented, even if it's not in there. Right. I agree with that. Okay. Although I do think there's a way to have too much conflict when a book is so plot driven that every I mean, say you got short chapters, three, four, five page chapters, right? And that in every single three, four, five page chapter, there's something crazy dramatic happening. Like, uh, and and I'm thinking Give me an example about here. like YA fantasy novels feel like the stakes are always death, right? Like I'm always going to be shot. I'm going to fall off a building. Yeah, but that I'm appeals to a young cliff. adult. I mean, again, you're you're reading for you're read you're kind of reading outside your. Uh, designated uh, demographics. The question was, can you have too much conflict? And I said, yes, I think sometimes there is too much conflict. That's it. I know, but in that, that but that's it. You're talking about in a genre. We're going to break. Okay. On the other side, more about conflict. We'll be right back. Saturday morning, it's right on SC. Casey and Rex here in the studio. We've been talking about conflict and having a little bit of a conflict as we went to break. (laughs) Yeah, well, you're reading outside your demographic. I mean, no, look, it's not that. Like a young adult is for what? 15 year olds? 12 to 18? It is not that I am not the right demographic for these books. I'm suggesting that in some cases, books are so plot driven that they're exhausting. Uh, uh, Yeah, I know, but it's like, I don't know. Because I can under, okay. I understand that, but you always you want a young adult. But even, that's like me complaining about you the asked plot me for an example. And All right, that's what fine. I read. But, but like, that's like me complaining about the plot of Clifford the Big Red Dog. Have you ever read like James Patterson books? Okay, so these are fast moving, very short pair, uh, very short chapter books too. Yes, and they wear me out. I mean, I, I'm and, oh because and, everything's moving so fast. Lord One thing mercy. leads into are you okay. Fun, so that's what you should have done. Me now. What? what? <laughs> is is that it? Well, isn't that, the, isn't that what you said? I'm, I'm not making fun of you. I thought if it's moving too fast because you want to uh, sit back and reflect on all the action, see how it puts, goes together. I, I think that it's, Well, that's how you cover up plot holes, is you move everything so fast people don't have time to, to realize. get a chance to notice that this is a plot hole, right? Yes, because exactly. Because added some new action well, Why didn't they it? do this? Why didn't they do that? You know, that sort of thing. Yeah. I don't need a lot of. I don't need the characters sitting around reflecting on, you know, what's just happened necessarily. See, that was the problem with The Walking Dead. All the, uh, you know. I just think they sat around a, agonizing way too much after a while. I think there's an opportunity to, uh, what's the right word for it? Character build in between. Like, get a chance for the characters to interact with one another, for there to be some kind of, I mean. I don't know. I don't watch a James, a read of James Patterson books with too much character interaction. That, well, and that, that's it's like watching James, it's like the, that's the problem with the, mo- the most recent James Bond. 
He sat around agonizing way too much. I just want to balance and, sh- and talking about his feelings. I it's like I don't want to read, watch James Bond, or read James Bond because I've read all the books. I don't read James Bond to hear about his feelings or how he's thinking about stuff. I want him to, you know, go uh, push a push a guy into a bathtub and then kick a, a toaster in and go shocking when the guy electrocutes. <laughs> <laughs> That's, a, really that's from a Roger like, Moore one. I'm over here like, do you have the energy to take on this conflict today? <laughs> uh, so- okay, okay. Well, it all becomes about genre, right? And what you expect from the genre. I do not disagree with that. I absolutely think that people have expectations of the book. They are opening the book with a particular set of expectations. And you're exactly right. YA readers, young adult readers are expecting things to move a little faster. And it, and it what... What I struggle with on that stuff, and and you're right, it's not meant for me. Those books are not written for me. But I'm still kind of like, why do the stakes always have to be death? Why does it always have to be I'm falling off a cliff and I'm probably going to die? We know you're not going to die, right? This is manufactured drama. It's a uh, it's false drama. It's fake drama, and it's it's just in there to be for whatever reason to create this you know intensity. But that stuff is gripping when you're younger. I mean, that's high drama when you're younger. Now, as you get older, you become more sophisticated Cynical. or you've seen it over again. Well, it's more like you've seen it happen over and over again. You want to try something different. Let's talk about internal conflict. Internal conflict. Okay. Uh, seven types of internal conflict. Ooh, this ought to be good. Number one. Wrong. Re- no, go ahead. <laughs> Number one is religious conflict. Okay. Internal religious conflict. So I'm interested in this specifically as because... As long as it doesn't go, you know, you know what, know what scene I've seen too much? Where a person goes to, like, the church and starts yelling at the statue of Jesus up on the cross. Like, it was so easy for you. It's hard for me. You know, that sort of thing. I've seen that scene. I've read that scene at least a hundred times. Why, God? Why? Yeah, why? Yeah. Uh, can you explain <laughs> it to me, please? Blah, blah, blah. You know, no one does that. No. Not even the priests do that. I don't think... Uh... I don't think it's that, that that's not necessarily the internal conflict I'm talking about. I think it's more of a uh, understanding religion typically provides us with a level of security, a sense of security, a sense of uh, sense making. Right. Like that's what religion is meant to do is help us make sense out of existence. And so religious internal conflict for me is like when you see the hypocrisy of it or when you recognize that like this isn't really it's not. It's not doing it anymore. It's not getting it done anymore. And so that internal conflict, as far as religion is concerned, I think is really powerful when you see somebody who has been so devoted to their faith and then they realize their faith is falling short in some way. I think that's really compelling. I like to see people go, what do I do now when my religion has failed me, when my faith has failed me? That, Depends on what that you expect from That's a really compelling faith. conflict. Well, yeah. I mean, that, exactly. it's, it's all about what you expect from your faith. Exactly. Um, I don't have a problem with the why God why. Uh, as, a ca- other, as a Catholic, you know, you learn not to expect too much. Other than to say, <laughs> other than to say that uh, I can see where somebody who has put their faith in a loving and redeeming God, right, and believes that they're going to be rewarded for that devotion, if they feel like instead they're being punished, they're experiencing, you know, a Job moment, right? That it's like, okay, uh, I I get it, like. I could see being frustrated by like when are you when are you going to reward me for my faith here instead of punishing me? Um, so I, I I'm okay with the why God why I'm all right with that. Uh, I know well the, okay it's not that it's that scene where they go to the church yeah and it's empty and they see the statue of Jesus crucified 
you know, assuming it's a Catholic church or an Anglican or something like that, and they start talking to it, that sort of stuff. Uh, that specifically setup scene like that is, is it's just overdone. Yeah, I can see that. All right, it's it's not the questioning; it's how they question. So, how is a religious conflict, internal conflict, different from a moral internal conflict? Because that's number two on this list: is moral internal conflicts. I suppose it depends on what religion you are. As to whether or not your religion dictates your morals? Yeah. Well, yeah. most religions tend to. I mean, that's part of the reason. <laughs> the, <laughs> Call it afterlife insurance. You act in this particular way, you'll be rewarded after you die. The two uh, intersect in Huckleberry Finn when you get this moment where Huckleberry Finn is saying, well, I guess I'm going to have to, I'm, I, I guess I'm going to hell, right? right? Because he doesn't, his moral conflict is that he thinks Jim is a good person and he, and he cares about Jim and Jim cares about him. Um, and yet... Because he's an enslaved person, he's a black man in in that era. Um, Huckleberry Finn is taught, is told uh, that it's he'll be punished um, in the afterlife for having you know these kinds of um, compassionate right. feelings for for this man. So the moral conflict and the religious conflict kind of uh, bump up against. Yeah, each I guess other I guess um, the moral conflict comes from society outside of religion. Maybe the two can maybe those two can dovetail together. Yeah. But uh, what, they're not mutual. Uh, they're they're not they, the same thing. Well, no, they're, they're not, they're, well, okay, they can be the same thing, but they're not mutually exclusive. I mean, we know pr- some immoral religions. Okay, right? There are religions out there that have religious tenets that are just immoral. You mean ones founded by uh, science fiction writers? <laughs> A few of them, yeah. Um, number three is self perception. So an internal conflict could be one's in um, self perception. Oh, his internal view of himself is shattered. Yeah. By events, so his ego, his th- thoughts upon himself. You know, that sounds like more like something for the villain. The self-perception internal conflict. Oh yeah. Yeah. Because part of the part of villainy is self-delusion about uh, you grandiosity. Know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, to see. And then that's shattered. Yeah. And then the person, you know, flips out about that. When they realize that what they're doing But again, is- conflict needs to be with not just the hero, but the villain as well. The villain needs to adjust to the conflict um, based upon the hero's actions as well as vice versa. Yeah. I think the, per- you know, the strangest sound, the perfect balance between hero and antagonist is uh, that movie Die Hard. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, I mean, they both have something they want. Both of their plans are upset by the actions of the other. Mm-hmm. And they have to constantly readjust. The uh, self-perception piece, right, in that specifically, right, we've got our our cowboy uh, cop who believes he can single-handedly save the day, right? Well, he has nothing else to do. Thinks of himself he as a hero. He can't get out, remember. Considers himself to be a hero. Yeah. Um, when, in fact, you know, what we learn of his backstory with his wife and his family he didn't act very heroically, right? <laughs> when it came time for her to get actually, a you know, the book is, is really different. Is it? Well, because they are in the book, they are a terrorist organization, right? They're not faking being terrorism. It's his daughter, and he discovers that the, the the people who are taking who took over the building are right that they are involved in conspiracy, you know, to defraud something or other and to spoil this country. And his daughter is deeply involved in it. Wow. Yeah, I know. It's a lot morally, more morally gray. Yeah. It was originally adapted to be uh, Commando 2, the second Arnold Schwarzenegger one. Wow. Right, exactly. Uh, and then it just eventually became Die Hard. 
That's it, folks, on Right on SC. Learning more than you ever thought you needed to know about, about Commando. Die Hard. <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger, yes. All right. Uh, internal conflict number four, love. Love, love and passion. Love is strange. Love and passion, I think, is All right. what this is. Let me let me go look it up. I'm going to use the link and go look it up. Where it's Because I was like, love, what does that mean? A love conflict occurs when characters face a decision that may hurt a person that they love. So they're they're facing a choice, um, and and what's at risk is that the person they love uh, may be hurt by it. Uh, I could see that. I could see that being pretty compelling, being interesting. Um, trying to figure out if that's the conflict, the internal conflict, right? How do you choose whether or not you're if you're making a moral choice or you're making a religious choice, um, knowing that that choice is going to hurt somebody that you love? That's that's a good internal conflict. Yeah, I think so. Uh, number five is a political internal conflict. Okay. Um, a political internal conflict? Usually those are external. It says political. When a character experiences a political struggle, such as agreeing with a politician's policies but disliking their personality. A political conflict can also occur when a character discovers a policy they oppose within their own party. Sometimes political conflicts can overlap with moral conflicts. So... I can see that. Consider a politician lying in advance of to advance an agenda they think will benefit the public. Okay. So something like that. I could see that where when it, it, that's and, a very narrow conflict. I mean it, that that that's very specific. It would be you would have to have somebody who's a political actor to have a political conflict, right? Right. Like, um, although, so the, one of the books I'm um, reading kind of slowly now because it's a pretty slow book. It's called the Etern It's called Eternal, um, and it's these. It's a I think I told you about this actually two weeks ago. So there's three uh, main characters, but we have a fourth point of view, which is the brother who's getting involved in this resistance to the fascist dictators in um, Italy. And so there is this political conflict there where the father is going along with the fascism and he's going along with the party, even though he doesn't agree with the party because by going along with it, life is easier, right? He can secure his business, he can secure his family, as long as he just goes along with it. But the son is um, opposing it. He's a, a, a resistance fighter. So I can see that political conflict in, you know, I love my dad, but he's on the wrong side of this of this argument. Right? He's on the wrong <laughs> side of this fight. Um, so yeah, uh, I, I'm cool with that. I like a political conflict. Um, societal is number six. So that to me would be related to uh, culture, Right. If I'm uh, internally conflicted about going against my culture, <clears throat> choosing to have a career when women aren't supposed to work or whatever, something like that. And then the seventh one is existential. We've been talking about conflict this morning. We're going to run to break. On the other side, we're going to tell you how to do it. So don't go away. It's right on SC on 100.7 The Point. Saturday morning, right on SC. Casey and Rex here in the studio with you. We've been talking about conflict today and infusing your scenes and your story with conflict. Um, I'm going to hit the scene thing real quick, and then we're going to go through and tell you exactly how to do it. So conflict at the scene level, um, again, because you mentioned this before, every scene needs to be taking us toward the conclusion of the plot, right? Correct. And so when we're reading a scene and it feels like it's kind of boring, there's not a whole lot here, it's because there's not a lot of conflict in the scene. And a lot of times novice writers have people in a room that all agree on the thing. They all agree. 
they're all of the same frame of mind. They all think the same thing. Or they, they all, all have the same level of information. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, at which point they begin talking to each other about it. Yeah. And it's like, okay, who are you saying this for? Yeah. It's like, you know. Because they all know. Hello, so Joe. Are, are you enjoying being four years older than me? <laughs> Stuff like that. Where it's obviously the reader needs to know. Um, so. Yeah, right, right, right. Well, that that's why uh, that's why in that particular thing, you always need a character that knows a little bit less. There's, um, so one of the. One of the groups that I belong to, South Carolina Writers Association, has a number of chapters, right? And one of the chapters I'm a member of is the romance chapter. Uh, and I'm going to pick on one of our romance writers because yesterday we were reading uh, a scene in our – yesterday? Thursday. Uh, I was reading her scene from her science fiction. It's like a, a future set science fiction kind of story. And um, the prince has – come into this woman's hair salon and she's going to give the prince a haircut right um and the and and so i'm asking her like the conflict here is that this woman feels awkward about having to give the prince a haircut uh she also knows she can't mess up again because she's like on she's already had like three strikes or something and like now if she does something wrong she's going to get like thrown in jail or whatever right so for her the conflict is like just behave yourself and get it right. But of course, because he's like haughty and entitled and all this, she's really struggling to bite her tongue, right? And to not um, and to not insult him because he's being a jerk, right? So this is a great conflict in that she's just having to repress herself, hold herself back from her natural behavior, from being, you know, her natural self. Because what's at risk here is that he can 100% just put her in jail for having, you know, done the wrong thing. Um, yes. So, yeah, so like as I'm saying, I'm kind of picking on her, but um, there was the dialogue between the two of them. There were some kind of like mundane things that she would say. Like he was like, yeah, your hair looks really good. And she goes, thanks. And I'm like, why is she saying thanks? Like, what is this? This doesn't do anything for me. Like, well, it's a polite thing to say. I'm like, well, I get it that it's polite, but it's boring. Right. <laughs> like, you know, uh, give her something more interesting to say than just thanks. Right. Um, people can't talk like we regularly talk because we're boring, too. Right. Yes. Like, individuals and regular conversation is boring as well. Um, so go through as you're thinking through, like trying to put more conflict or more interest into the story. Read the dialogue that's between these people. Get rid of the narration altogether. Just read the dialogue out loud and say to yourself, is this interesting? Like, do you want to overhear this conversation? If you were sitting on the subway and people were having this conversation, would you be leaning in to hear more? Or would you be like, I'm going to put my earphones on because you guys are boring me, right? <laughs> um, so I would just encourage you to think about uh, 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 at the dialogue level. All right, here we go. How do you add conflict to a scene? Uh, we went to the master class for this, so the link is in the show notes. Go out to write on sc.blog and grab those show notes. Um, very bottom of the page, segment four. The first most useless information, <laughs> most useless suggestion is to determine what kind of conflict the story needs. How? How do you determine what kind of conflict the story needs? How do you know what kind of conflict the story needs? Well, you say, what is the story about? They tell you it should be em eminently obvious, right? If you know what the story is about, <laughs> yeah. then the type of conflict that's there should be obvious. Yes. Okay. Uh, you know, it, it, often I think this is we go about this the wrong way. We look at it the wrong way. There's usually there's two types. You know, a, a, each story has two should have two types of conflict. The best ones, in my opinion. Okay. All right, the external one and the internal one. Okay. Right. So you should be able to say that you know. 
this character is struggling with blah, 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 right. while this other stuff is going on. Those are always the most interesting ones, in my opinion. Right. So, but you said we go about this the wrong way. Do you mean because we, we well, we, try we, to build lab- it we label the stories either you know as, as one type of conflict when it really should be two at the same time? Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay, but so the conflict. Let me ask you this question as a rookie writer, right? Like, does the conflict emerge? Like a lot of the other things we've talked about this summer are things that you just know it, right? Like you're writing it, you're reading other people's work. Because this is actually the last tip on the list is probably the most useful one, which is read fiction. Read other people's stories, right? And then try to identify what is the conflict in this story and how did they build it? Like how did they let me know that that's the conflict? What are they doing that demonstrates that that's the conflict? What's the evidence of it in this story? The more you read other people's work and you're able to identify those pieces, the better you're going to get it building it into your own absolutely yeah so if so and i will say this because i told you i'm like kind of trying to break myself out of this romance novel uh, obsession i've had for several years <laughs> when the conflict well oh, you're trying to break yourself from are you going cold turkey no okay i moved into that fantasy okay <laughs> in the fantasy uh, genre instead i don't think you should really break it if you want to change you should change you know i mean I, we should read what we enjoy reading but this is why i'm saying this in a lot of romance novels because there is just a thousands and thousands of romance novels on uh, on Kindle Unlimited. In a lot of them, the conflict is manufactured. It's fake. There's no real conflict here, right? Like, But they, because the author feels like they have to create a conflict, they create a conflict, right? Like, they, It's like they've invented it. It's like self-creative melodrama. I don't know if it's fake. It's just I think you've read a thousand of these stories, so you see it when it's executed well and when it's executed poorly. That's true. You've seen it too much so that you become jaded to the to the genre which you love. Yes. Well, I'm not entirely jaded to the genre. It's just that now I can't you, you identify see the, the nuts bad. and bolts. You can, you know, you have x-ray vision into the story and you see where it's done well and where it's sort of slapped together. Yeah. And when it's and when it's done poorly, I get mad. Right. <laughs> Cuz I feel like I'm wasting my time. All right, you'll know what kind of conflict the story needs if you know what the story is about. Um, the second question or the second tip here is decide what your character wants and put something in the way. All right. That seems that's standard enough. I mean, self-explanatory. Yeah, I mean, that's every meet cute and uh, romantic comedy, right? Right, or, uh, you know, hey, I really this guy's really cute. I really like him. Um, and then it turns out he's my new boss. You know, <laughs> you're like, oh, what's in the way? Well, I probably shouldn't date my boss, right? Um, the third one is create characters with opposing values. So characters who value different things. I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, why are they in the same realm? How do they run into one another if they don't share the same values, right? Um, and or, Well, how, how often do you know someone's values that you just met? Yeah, they're brand new, right? Right. Um, and then the, th- the next one is create a powerful antagonist. You mentioned this before, talking about get, really taking the time to give your antagonist motivation purpose backstory like really having somebody in there that's not even if you don't use it you yourself will know it and that will help shape the character you're reading um sharon's book with me at our uh columbia uh our uh, blythewood chapter um and it's interesting to me because i think that her her antagonist so kate is her protagonist but i think kate's main antagonist is her sister and i think that sharon is reluctant to make the sister an antagonist because she likes her she likes mary alice she doesn't want to make mary alice an antagonist but i really want her to like i really want mary alice to be a little bit more of a a pain um so we'll have to see how that goes anyway uh the next one is sustain the conflict's momentum through the middle of the story 
That's probably easier said than done. But this is where when we talked about the conflict should escalate, right? The very first engagement of this conflict, it should seem like it's easy to solve, but then it should get more complicated and it should get harder and more difficult as the story goes on. Yes, or the plot itself goes deeper. There's more connected to it. There's more involved. So in order to sustain the conflict's momentum, you have to give it extra layers and you have to raise the stakes, which is like the next item on the list is raise the stakes. Right. Um, If it doesn't get resolved, what happens, right? If we, if we walk away and we don't ever fix this problem, what, what's, what's at stake here? Um, And then strengthen the conflict with subplots. So you mentioned that Um, add in these extra, these extra lines of plot. Right. Internal conflict could be considered a subplot. And then think through your story visually, um, which is to imagine it in front of you. Imagine it happening on a stage. Where would they stand? What would their posture look like? What would their costumes look like? Right. Um, Would somebody be at a higher level than the other? Um, Thinking through it visually gives you a chance to see who's got the upper hand here, who has the advantage here, um, and then create the the scene um, in that way. Wow, we got through the whole list. Yes, we did. <laughs> I kind of raced through it. <laughs> I want to go back, though, to the um, deciding what your character wants and put something in the way. Right. How big does their desire have to be? Does it have to be a life or death kind of it, choice? It has to be enough to fill up the whole book. <laughs> I mean, it has to be a situation or something where the character just can't walk away, right? Yeah, they can't live without this thing. Right, or there is such a situation where it's just them or no one to fulfill this mission. Does it have to be, um, by the end of this book, do they have to get what they desire? Do they have to attain it? There has to be closure. Let me put it to you that way. Okay. There needs to be closure. I watched a great film the other day, right, called The Wild Geese. It sounds terrible, but it's a great action film where a group of mercenaries go there to rescue an African leader. Okay. Fly in Africa, and then halfway through, the people who hire them screw them over and leave them abandoned. Wow. So their change, so their mission changes. Because now it's escape. They've succeeded their mission, but now what they need to do changes, and they just need to get, you know, they're in the middle of a hostile country. Right. Where the entire for- military forces are chasing after them, and they need to somehow get out and survive. Okay. That's raising the stakes right there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so all of these characters' goals, because most of it was money. Yeah. Oh, alter to survival. Okay. That's it. That's the end of the show. We did it. <laughs> we'll be back next week. Thanks to Kevin Cohen. Uh, Stacey Huff's up next. He's got Sports Nation. We'll see you next time.